Well, welcome to another episode of Scotland's Choice Westminster Roundup. We've got a packed podcast for you today. We're going to be talking about the uh, Privileges Committee investigation into Boris Johnson. We'll be looking at the Windsor break and the Northern Ireland situation. We'll be talking about the use of Section 35s and particularly in relation to minimum unit pricing. Uh, oh, there's so much to talk about, including the Prime Minister's tax returns. Well, I'm Drew Hendry, MP. And I am Brendan O'Hara, MP. I'm Deirdre Brock. I'm a member for Edinburgh Open League. And I'm Dave Dugan, MP for Angus. Well, let's start off with the uh, the what's been causing a lot of excitement around Westminster today, which is the Boris Johnson's appearance in front of the Privileges Committee. We've got Alan Dorans on that uh, committee who's been doing a fine job of um, doing some scrutiny around this issue, he's um he's on a bit of a sticky wicket, isn't he, with all the uh, all, all the stuff that's come out. We've seen his uh, his list of excuses. None of it really holds water, does it? Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one to call at the moment because it's literally happening as we are recording this. Exactly. It is on the screens behind us. Boris's big curtain looming down <laughs> on us as he desperately tries to save his skin. But I'm so glad that you, you mentioned Alan Dorans because he is gaining a really, really good reputation around Parliament for his very methodical... It's forensic. Forensic. It? And I think it comes from probably being an ex-cop. Indeed, yes. I know. I think he's been... Yeah, people are really talking about Alan and his, the part he's been playing in this. But, um, I mean, some of the things that have come up today, I mean, you know, why was there wine at a work meeting? I mean... <laughs> I'm not sure if that was asked. I hope it was. Um, that's certainly something that I think a lot of people out in the community would like to know about. Well, I think um, when, when you say wine, I mean, we're looking at some of the pictures and there's bottles of champagne, the yeah, five or six bottles. Yeah. Well, let's not exaggerate, but there's at least four or five bottles of champagne sitting on the yeah, desks. Yeah. Uh, and if, if, there were, if, this was, uh, if these were formal work meetings, were, yeah. was security clearance? Yeah. Uh, arranged for some of the yeah. family members who might have attended mm -hmm. and so on. And, and did the, did the suitcase, the literally suitcase of booze, go through the security process? No, <laughs> no one covered themselves in glory. The difficulty, the difficulty he's got just now is his evidence they have given to the committee was bringing it all back from when he was still Prime Minister. Talking to an audience that was in a parallel universe, the idea that the most senior legislator in the country could have been foggy around the nature of the rules that the rest of us were all bound by. There was no confusion, and we were all bound by them for fear of a £10,000 fine. Um, people understood what they could and couldn't do, so the idea that he couldn't, and he's the problem he's got is he's relying on, well, I kind of thought it was in with the rules, and I, I, I was told I was within the rules, I didn't recognise it to be a party. Any one of these lame excuses on their own would be a challenge. What, when they start to build up, you start to see a picture of somebody who thought he could get away with what he liked yeah. and is a bit unhappy that he's found out that he can't. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right there. I mean, I think, I mean, we've had such a busy day today. There's been so much else happening in parliaments, but running in and out of the office and, and the wee bits that I caught of the committee hearing, there is a, a real sense that Johnson kind of knows that he's run out of road here. Mm -hmm. You know, the, all of the excuses and all of the obfuscation and all of the, you know, just a slightly dim-witted, cheeky chappy, all that sort of nonsense doesn't wash anymore and no. he's now being called to account. No. And the account that he's giving is, well, Swiss cheese comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really unedifying from just a sort of line management point of view. 
He's basically throwing his staff under yeah. a bus to try and time protect, and time again, time and time again, to try and protect his own skin. Now that's bad enough in any other employment type environment to be. But at the very pinnacle of the United Kingdom's administration, the Prime Minister, the clues in the title, mm -hmm. to rely on the on the. Uh, on the exposure of his own staff is really, really poor. I mean, he named staff, and he <laughs> yeah. was, I mean, the, the, the committee was definitely trying to avoid that, and then he comes out with, I mean... Just... Well, another thing he's relying on just now is public money, because his legal fees yeah. are all being covered by the public yeah. purse. Now, it, it's widely uh, touted that the, the legal fees that he's paying for, or the, rather that we're all paying for, are about £5,000 an hour. Mm. Um, in the context of today's news about inflation being the highest for 45 years, how do you think that sits with people? Very, very badly, particularly when you think Mr Johnson has uh, apparently earned many millions just in I think recent months. I think it's up to about speaking two to four million or so, yeah. 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 Well, don't forget his £800,000 loan as well mm. that he got. Yeah. Well, I, the BBC. I was going to say, I mean, surely his tax bill could be covered by a hike in the licence fee or something. <laughs> <laughs> or or his, his legal bills could be covered yeah. by the, the licence fee. Yeah. The whole thing is utterly unedifying mm -hmm. from beginning to end. And you just wonder how historians will write this chapter in, in British history, hopefully the last chapter in the history of the United mm. Kingdom, but unedifying does it begin to describe it. I believe well, he ended by saying he uh, enjoyed it and someone else behind him muttered another lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're, about to, um, we're about to go on and talk about the winter break, but that's come about because of Brexit. Now, we, we just reflected on the uh, juxtaposition between him getting public funding for his legal fees and inflation being at a 45-year high. Inflation's jumped today because of food prices mainly, um, which is a direct result of Brexit. This isn't happening in the same way in other countries. And Boris Johnson's absolutely not uh, and totally culpable for the situation we're in at the moment in terms of that, uh, that, that, that boost to inflation just now in the, the whole Brexit project. But, but don't you find it strange, and we've mentioned this before in the podcast, don't you find it strange that the Labour Party are just so willing to get behind that Brexit that Boris has set up? Well, I think they just hope that in not... They just don't address it, do they? They just don't bring it up at all. Mm. And I think they hope that by ignoring it, it's just going to somehow mm. go away and that the rest of, you know, the rest of us will will, um, will be able to accept that it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not the problem that it clearly is, you know? I mean, just today I was reading in, I think it was the Observer from the weekend about these checking centres that have been set up that have cost hundreds yeah. of millions of pounds across... Uh, England mainly, I think, um, that are just redundant. Mm -hmm. Redundant. Acres of land mm -hmm. that have been set up and they are thinking now they're just going to be turned into housing, mm -hmm. or which is a good thing, of course, mm -hmm. but, you know, well, the hundreds what, of what millions of pounds. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, <laughs> so the Labour Party are, are, are on the horns of a dilemma with this. Mm -hmm. They're traditionally mm -hmm. poor on the economy, they're poor on defence, they're also poor on agriculture. Mm -hmm. They're an inner city party mm -hmm. uh, and they don't have a constituency um, uh, in its broadest sense, in uh, landward areas like uh, like we do, mm -hmm. it, we're we're a, we're, a, we're an urban and a rural party in the SNP. The Tories can claim to be the same thing, and uh, I suppose even the Lib Dems to a very limited and distinct extent. But uh, the but the Did you um, say distinct or extinct? Uh, <laughs> I live in hope. Uh, but the um, 
And so they, they, they don't have the literacy around this. They don't have the people knocking on their constituency office door saying, we were previously in a difficult situation while we remained in the EU in the common market. The situation we find ourselves now with uh, the failure of the UK to secure any meaningful form of regulatory alignment and to choke off the supply of seasonal labour is just another element of um, the Tory ideology around uh, Brexit. Yeah. Brexit was not a strategic operational project. It's an ideological mm -hmm. project from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And you can still see that ideology unwinding in the most yeah. damaging way, not the least of which, uh, as I'm sure Deirdre knows much better than I do, is choking off the supply of seasonal labour and the fanciful notion that you can get <coughs> local people to do that seasonal agricultural work mm -hmm. is utter yeah. nonsense. Well, remember, pick for Britain. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> there got about 50 people that did it for about 15 minutes. Yeah. It was a disaster. But the, the, the whole Labour Party approach to, to Brexit, though, is one, they're absolutely terrified of it. They are terrified of Brexit. They're terrified of talking about Brexit. And they've been reduced to this nonsense. I mean, the, the best way I can think of describe it would be someone going up to King Canute when he's trying to stop the tide and saying, hold on, let me have a go. I can do this. You know, it's impossible. You cannot fix Brexit. Brexit is unfixable. Now, you either accept that Brexit is going to be in return for this bizarre sovereignty argument is going to be an economic disaster and you're prepared to accept the economic disaster, but you can't fix it. You cannot fix Brexit. And yet Labour are thrilled now to this idea that they can fix Brexit, but the dogs in the street, no, it's, it's yeah. unfixable. No, it's just like, shh, we're not going to talk about it. It's so anodyne. I think Labour Party in its current form is so anodyne. And I just think it's that thing of, well, you'll vote for us because the alternative is the Tory party and everyone hates the Tories, but they're not coming up with any reason to vote for them as far yeah. as I can see. And particularly, I mean, you know, my constituency of 78% remain uh, in, in the referendum, 2016, second highest in Scotland, one in the top 10 in the UK, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, and it must be higher since then. I mean, I just don't mm -hmm. see what the Labour Party can do to come back from that, you know, well, that's all they can do. Yeah. Well. I mean, you can you can see you can see it on the faces with that unending performance. I can't even call it a performance from Keir Starmer today. Genuinely lost interest. Sometimes pinch yourself thinking, mm -hmm. I'm sitting here inside the House of Commons of Prime Minister's questions, and when Keir Starmer's speaking, I can't even concentrate yeah. on it. It's so dull. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, today's performance, and then you couple it to last week's six questions on the BBC. It's it's as if he's terrified take a stand on any major issue and of course while he's doing that things things are moving on and immediately after Prime Minister's questions we had the the SI on the the Windsor break that's a statutory instrument for anyone yes sorry I, uh, <laughs> for, for, forgive me the, the inside bubble top <laughs> nice 90 minutes to yeah so we had the, the statutory instrument on the, the the Windsor break now without getting into the the, the, the detail of it I think the politics of the wins of this today was that the Tories are definitely trying to move on um, from Brexit. They're trying to, you know, be seen to be finally Sunak getting Brexit done. Now we can go talk about the ins and outs of the the, the Windsor break and the Northern Ireland Protocol, but I think the optics today of the Conservative Party once and for all separating themselves from the DUP and the lunatic fringe of their own ERG, yeah, yeah. you know, was, but I think it was really quite telling. Mm -hmm. And what does the Labour Party do? No, the Labour Party was 
absolutely wedded to this idea that a Conservative Party on Brexit would be split top to bottom and there would be somewhere for them to work on that fissure. Um, I don't think that's happening now. And I think that Sunak, and you can see it this morning, there was a poll the first time in over a year that put Sunak ahead of Starmer as a preferred Prime Minister. I think that gap's going to narrow. Mm. And I think the whole Windsor break Northern Ireland protocol is going to work quite well for... So I think uh, there's, but there's, but, but there, there's two uh, major issues with it. There's the um, there's the legislative element of it and the sovereignty element of it in Northern Ireland. There's a trade element, and I think you know they've largely resolved the trade element with the amendments and the and and, and with the, the green and red lines. Yeah, yeah with yeah. the concessions that uh, that the United Kingdom government and I guess. Commission to a certain extent have made in order to apply a little bit of sense to that which is coming and going into and out of the six counties. But the sovereignty elements remain, and that's why the DUP are so um, exercised by it all. And there is nothing exotic or particularly politically scientific about the situation we find in the United Kingdom with. Northern Ireland. It was entirely predictable, mm -hmm. uh, given the provisions within the Good Friday Agreement, that we would end up in precisely this place, and it was uh, played down in the most uh, in the most um, pernicious way by pro-Brexit uh, commentators during the Brexit referendum, pretending that this manifestly obvious problem, which would arise, crisis actually, not a problem. Uh, would arise, has arised, mm. and, and they should be thoroughly ashamed mm. of themselves. I mean, I think in terms of the results of, of that today, uh, of that vote, you've got a few things at play here. You've got one, uh, a number of Tory MPs who are clearly very concerned because their pegs are on, you know, the sugary peg there um, for their seats. You've got uh, James Forsyth from The Spectator, who is uh, an old friend of Rishi Sunak's coming in. I think that he's really taken a grip of the um, narrative and that seems to be working for Sunak and you are starting to see the polls going up. And then you've got the campaign strategist Isaac Levido, who uh, at their away day quite recently, I think, was setting down some very strict rules as to, as to how the cabinet should be behaving and uh, what they had to do to have even a hope of clawing mm. back some of that lead that the mm. um, Labour Party have over them. It's, uh, yeah, but and I mean, it's it's starting to work. And, and it just shows you it. what Westminster politics is like because it just goes round in a circle all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, but it also shows you the absolute failure. that Everyone could see this was never going to work, but the failure of Labour's strategy of say nothing, do nothing, and just run on a platform of we're not them, mm -hmm. it was never going to work. And I, I, the, the, the naivety to think that it could work, that you could run a political campaign on the basis of saying nothing. Um, and I think that'll come back mm -hmm. to bite them. Now, I'm not saying the Tories will win the next election, mm -hmm. but this 20, 25 point lead, that's not going to last. See if, if Labour do win the next election, it will be because the Tories lose it. There's an important difference there. Mm -hmm. you know, there is nothing that the Labour Party are doing, saying, or promising that would make you switch your vote. I mean, I know we all know how small a, a demos it is in English marginal seats mm -hmm. that decide the UK government. Yeah. But the the idea that they've got some breakthrough strategy, yeah. 
They don't have one. They don't even have a narrative, let alone a strategy. I mean, Labour have used that tactic before, haven't they, of of just avoiding discussing anything with the press or doing anything or saying anything. Who was it who got chased into a sandwich shop, was it? Oh, Ian Gray. Ian Gray. Do you remember? So I'm just thinking this is their tactic at the moment. We're not going to say anything to upset anyone. We're just going to keep ploughing on and hope that no one notices us and then we'll win by default. I wish I could remember the the, the American... um, political satirist who said that the only things you find in the middle of the road are white lines and dead skunks <laughs> <laughs> but it, it brings me that um that that comment you just made deirdre about labor keeping their head down brings me to a point where they did speak up they did speak up in scotland against the uh, minimum uh, alcohol unit pricing uh, legislation we've got many times when they not all of them some of them get uh, very much behind it but uh, but you know, famously, they've got uh, figures there that have spoken up against that. And the good news is that the, uh, the 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 work has come out now to show that there's 156 less deaths per year mm-hmm. uh, because that policy is working. That there are many, many more um, fewer uh, health interventions required because of that legislation. Mm-hmm. It's something right. that was really difficult, really controversial, had to go through the Scottish Parliament, and is working. It was for the benefit of people in Scotland. If that had been going through now, do you think that Alistair Jack would have allowed that legislation uh, to get past his desk? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, post, you know, once the once the section five section thirty five genie is out of the bottle, Correct. it's out of the bottle, and mm-hmm. it's sitting there on the on on the bench as a tool ready to be used as and when something awkward comes along and. Um, and of course, unlike um, when when minimum pricing was were, was introduced, there was also no Internal Market Act mm-hmm. as well to ride roughshod over the provisions of, of devolution. Um, and of course, don't let us forget that as a project of the Labour Party, devolution wasn't envisaged to have a asymmetry in power between Westminster and Holyrood. It was supposed to be that the Labour Party felt as long as they were in charge of both, that everything would tick along just fine. Yeah. But of course, that didn't even work. They still fell out with each other over um, free personal care mm-hmm. uh, to Henry Henry McLeish's cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think I, I think you know if if they're getting antsy about uh, the deposit return scheme and they've uh, pulled the trigger on the gender uh, recognition mm-hmm. reform, then they absolutely would do it on mm-hmm. on minimum pricing. And, and this is this is part of the danger, isn't it? Because as a Tory MP said way back when the Scotland Act was going through. This was the Governor General clause, mm-hmm. uh, and and boy, are they keen to act like Governor Generals? Yeah, it's, it's what it described as muscular unionism. You know, they are flexing their muscles, seeing how far they can go. They are emboldened at the moment, and they think that they are they are untouchable. Uh, and so, I've no doubt at all that they would have used it against minimum unit pricing. Probably they were slightly cowed at the time. But as Dave quite rightly says, once you use it once, you can put the toothpaste back in the tube and anything they don't like, they're going to use. And this, this we've got to get used to this. I mean, are they looking, I think this is happening, are they actually looking for excuses to intervene wherever they possibly can? Well, you get that Find feeling. a group. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. That they're looking to find a group of people who might find this, whatever the the the, 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 the um, policy is that the Scottish Parliament is, is voting on. Um, that they don't like, and then they will amplify their voices. And I'm not saying that's necessarily happening 
with all of these things, I've, clearly there are some issues around the DRS scheme, the deposit return scheme that need to be properly looked at. But, you know, in the past, the devolved governments generally, Wales and, and Scotland certainly, have shown themselves to be more capable of introducing innovative schemes. Mm -hmm. Is the UK government really just interested in, in intervening in this way and then rendering those devolved powers that we have utterly useless? Well, I, I think I think for what they're doing is they're being quite clever about it. They are, with the help of their allies in, in, in Scotland, they are creating a monster and then they are setting themselves up to slay the monster. And so whether that's, you know, public outrage at gender recognition, public outrage at the deposit return scheme, and you would have had public outrage at minimum unit pricing, they, they create the monster and then they slay the monster and then they take the credit for it by or, or claim that they were doing it on behalf of the, the public. That what the, the, the inconvenient truth for them here is that the Scottish Parliament speaks for the Scottish public nobody else does. But they think that they can circumvent our democratically elected Parliament on specific, carefully chosen issues which they have blown up to be something which they're not and try to feed into the public consciousness um, yeah, and I don't want to downplay clever. how good they are at that because well, that's a very clever political strategy. Very. But they, what what they will eventually come unstuck with is the fact that their worldview of internal political discourse in Scotland is informed, not the least, by their six Scottish Tory MPs. Which you know, I don't want to be overly critical, but I would suggest. The oh, calibration, go on. Go on. The, the, six, <laughs> the six Tory MPs' calibrated understanding of the general mood in Scotland is possibly miles off. Yeah. Um, and the same oh, you're be, being very generous. Yeah, I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the same can be said for their cohort of, uh, of Conservative um, MSPs in the Scottish Parliament who, from time to time, look increasingly... Um, agitated. I wouldn't say deranged, <laughs> I would say... Exercised and agitated. <laughs> but you said in terms of manufacturing this, Brendan, they literally did manufacture. Because let's stick with the pretense that this is actually a union that we're in, not just um, an English parliament hegemony. Uh, and the, uh, and Scotland, as a, an apparently equal member of this union, was first out the traps with a deposit return scheme. Now, there are some challenges mm -hmm. in introducing a deposit return scheme. However, many countries and jurisdictions across the European Union operate a DRS without incident. Yeah. One of the big problems for us was that uh, DEFRA would not align with what we had already established. They wouldn't, and was it glass, Deirdre? Was it glass they wouldn't bring it's, in? Yeah, glass. Um, and so that was where a lot of the problems were. They wouldn't, they wouldn't accept the same deposit either side of the border. So they manufactured these challenges for DRS. Uh, and then, as you say, Brendan, so look at this terrible thing that we've been well, seeing. I mean, the from. UK government has been dragging its feet on its deposit return scheme for years. It's been criticised heavily for it, and yet we try to introduce it. Being nippier, I just think as a, as, you know, as nimble. The, a nimble um, approach to these sorts of schemes mm -hmm. um, that the uh, Scottish Parliament can take in yeah. marked contrast to the UK government. And yet, you know, we're expected to drag our heels but the, and wait but for them all, now. all these things, Deirdre, they, you make a good point, and all these things that they need to do in order to, to increase recycling, to mm. uh, to generate more renewable energy, to, you know, get carbon capture underway, all the things they've been advised to do, 
for a climate emergency just seem to have completely disappeared like snow melting away from any policies that they've got in here. They've even reclassified nuclear as environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they, they, this is part of the problem um, because... And low cost. Yeah, and low cost, yes. Let's, let's speak. Yeah. Was this guy, low cost. Low cost, yes, which is hilarious. We're not going to go into nuclear. But can I just say before, yeah, yeah. As, we, as we wrap up this, I think it's really important that, as I say, none of this is done accidentally. None of this is done without careful planning and what this means is that devolution is under real threat yeah, as right. never before. And Scotland is going to have to have to choose what it wants. Does it want central control from Westminster? Because if devolution as currently constituted cannot deliver what the Scottish people want, yeah. then it's going to have to be independence yeah. or they're going to have to give up devolution for central control from London. And I think that day of reckoning is coming very, very soon. Well, I mean, you know, we haven't even discussed levelling up funding and yeah, the yeah. ad hoc approach that the UK government's taking to that. Would you say I mean, ad hoc? money for a bridge. Would you say ad hoc or pork barrel? <laughs> <laughs> I have said pork barrel in the past. Yes. Is, is there a hawk of pork? It <laughs> <laughs> could well be the case. Yeah. But you realise, of course, that the, the, uh, the, the Prime Minister himself could have paid for a whole new bridge from his tax returns alone. Oh, yeah, from That's his... Uh, his Finally. Because well, yeah. he's released them, hasn't Finally, he? Finally, the tax returns have been released, yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> what a strange coincidence yeah. it happens on the day when the former Prime Minister appears in front of the privileged. Exactly. Yeah. So it's there's never a good it's day to bury your tax returns. Well, I don't know what, uh, what, what the actual figure was, but I'm led to believe that the Prime Minister paid five times an MP's salary in income tax alone. Income tax alone. Well, I think it might have been yeah. dividends or yeah. was it? I mean, tax on dividends yeah. or something. Whatever it was, it was then. It, it's it quite incredible. And, and this comes out after we were pointing out in the previous podcast that uh, Stephen Flynn, who's been, I think we can loudly say he's been doing a great job at P&Q's. Mm -hmm. um, in the previous podcast, we were talking about the fact he'd raised the matter of the national grid being diverted so he could heat his swimming pool. And uh, was he thinking about that? But we, we've got fair play. We've got the tax returns. He now. is a man of the people. I, I think that's been shown. <laughs> it's going um, on this. Yeah, Non-dom yeah. regime, £3.2 billion per year, not being yeah. collected by the exchequer. I mean, and he's put some cracking people in the Lords. I mean, the Lords is a much better place for his. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just in case people are you know, uh, not able to kind of experience what we're experiencing here, Dave was using deep sarcasm <laughs> uh, uh, it was all in the facial expressions <laughs> of course and there's more lords to come as we say you know quite often you know we, we're, we're going to see more coming aren't we Lord Cause, Stanley cause, yeah Lord Stanley because um, well I think it's Sir Stanley I think it's Lord Stanley Johnson it could be any of these things of course because we've not seen the but we definitely know that Lord Jack is coming out but he's still going to uh, sit there and, and deny Scottish democracy in the meantime, but uh, but it's going to come well, out. The big scandal will be the honourable member, right honourable member for is it South West Norfolk, mm -hmm. the Prime Minister in between uh, Johnson and Sunak. Mm -hmm. If she gets a resignation honours list, I believe she is. Well, that's yeah. scandalous, yeah. absolutely. Scandalous. Oh come on, she'd put in a good six weeks there, ruining, uh -huh. ruining yeah. the economy and putting uh, prices up for people and increasing mortgages. Exactly. It's, yeah. uh, that, and that's the way that's the way the reward system goes here in West. Westminster, isn't you it? Feel upwards. <laughs> you feel upwards. And, and humility, Westminster yeah. style, involves her riposte, yeah. which was, 
There was nothing wrong with my economic policies. I just didn't get a chance for them to properly unwind. Indeed, yes. Oh, my God. Well, on that trickle-down note, um, <laughs> I think we'll, we'll have to, unfortunately, wrap up this uh, podcast. Can I thank Deirdre Brock and Dave Dugan for joining us on Scotland's Choice Today? It's been a pleasure. And tune in again soon. Yeah, we, of course, you can find more episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. So thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll be back next week.